As a parent, you inevitably find yourself in situations where you are uh, saying to a, a couple people in an elevated manner, um, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Stop. Stop arguing about that. Stop taking that, pushing. Just, it just doesn't matter. And that's what the book of Galatians is. It's Paul saying to a group of Christians in Galatia, it just, the thing, it just doesn't matter. That's the, the main point of the book of Galatians is to convey to them and to us what does count. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 again. Galatians 5, verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It just doesn't matter. Now, if you would have asked any Jewish person what matters the most, circumcision would have been one of the candidates that most respondents said mattered the most. It matters a ton. And Paul says, how much does it matter? He says it doesn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. He gives that, that act a different name in, in chapter 6, verse 15, Galatians 6, 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. In a letter this short, when he's repeating himself, it's important. Neither circumcision counts nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The only thing that matters, children, the only thing that matters is Jesus' new creation coming to be in communities of those who, by faith and by the power of the Spirit, love one another across normal cultural divides. Look back at chapter 3, verse 28. Here in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. These are massive. These are ways of understanding the world at that time. Sociologists talk about a social imaginary. That is how we imagine society to be composed and how we just intuit that. How everything we, we think about the world is just filtered through that, that set of imaginative categories. That's what Paul's saying is eradicated here no longer exists, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. This is bonkers. But it doesn't, it doesn't count for anything. The only thing that counts is Jesus' new creation coming to be in a community of people who love one another across all normal cultural divisions and boundaries. We talked about this last week. We talked about the beautiful new creation community. You're a beautiful new creation community. And that's where you say, no, you are. And then I say, no, you are. <laughs> that's what we want, right? We, we long for that beautiful community. But it's only going to come through being attached to the work of Jesus. It's only in what Paul calls the new creation. Now, last week we saw that the new creation is only going to come to be. It's only possible because of what Paul calls the gospel. The gospel. Let's look back at Galatians chapter 1. What is the gospel? Some of you could answer this very well, very accurately, and in an extended manner. But here's just a very simple, almost too simple of an answer. The, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. 
Now, we've got to unpack a lot of that. And Paul begins to unpack it here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Look at Galatians 1, 4, where Paul begins to unpack what is the news. So this news that's good about Jesus, here's a little bit of that in Galatians 1, 4, which is probably the first written summary of the gospel in the New Testament era. Galatians was probably the first book written, probably Paul's first letter. This is probably the first written summary. And we, th- we think that Paul is sort of quoting a kind of a common uh, summary of what, how people would explain the gospel to their brothers and sisters and to others. So here's the news. Here's the news. The news is that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Can that be right? Is that it? That that little, that verse four, like that is supposed to be the seed that's going to produce the new creation community of Jesus? Like just these, these few truths about what Jesus did, is that really it? Is that enough? That's a good question, isn't it? It doesn't feel like much, does it? If I, hand, if I rip this page out of my Bible and hand it to you and, and we're going to drop you off into the northern steeps of Mongolian-China border and said, plant a church. You have everything you need. And you'd look at Galatians 1.4 and you'd say, I, I have enough here? This is enough? The gospel is the, enough. This just this is, is the seed, right? It's hard not to. It's just hard not to think that you need something else, right? As, as a church leader, as, as any of you who are interested in, in the church and the life of the church and, and church growing and expanding, you think, okay, good, we got the gospel. Now let's go to a seminar on um, community building. Now let's go to a seminar on uh, church growth. Now let's go to a, right. It's just so natural to feel like we. We've got the gospel in common, but we should also get matching tattoos. Like, that would make us a real community of people, right? And, uh, and we also need to stop no dairy. Like, that's our thing, the gospel and no dairy. Or, right? There's always something that we're adding. We, we just feel compelled to craft the community around the gospel and. The gospel and some other things as well. And so... Paul's goal in this simple gospel statement in verse 4, and then if you look at verse 6, this kind of severe opening, I am astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. His goal with this is verse 3. Grace to you and peace. He's saying, I want God's grace to come to you and give you peace. So Paul's goal for the Galatians, the Spirit's goal for us in the book of Galatians and in these first nine verses, is that we would know that we are in grace so that we can be at peace. To know that Jesus did it all, he did it all, and all that he did, what he did is enough. That's Paul's goal. I have to admit that in preparing for this sermon, I almost completely ignored verse 3. 
I had a sense that it was the point of the passage. I had a sense that it should be the point of my sermon. But when I was working on this last night and just sort of polishing it off for this morning, I realized, good grief, it's hardly in here at all. So I had to cut all sorts of stuff out so we could focus in here for just a minute on verse 3. Look at verse 3, Galatians 1.3, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's prayer for the book. This is a kind of a prayer statement. He's saying, my prayer is that God's grace would come to you so that you would be at peace. And then if it's, if it's Paul's prayer here, that means that this is actually God's goal as well. God is, he's writing to Christians here. Not, not the unbelieving world, but, but us. And, and God's goal is, God is trying to give you grace. He's trying to convince you of his grace so that you can share the peace that he lives with. Know this grace so you can enjoy this peace. There's my favorite song right now. One of my favorite songs is by a band called Mumford and Sons, and they, it's off an old album called Delta, but it just, I just love it. And there's a song on there called Beloved. And it tells the story of the singer going in to see one of his, his dying relatives. And, the, and the, the chorus he sings over and over, he says, Before you go, you must know you are beloved. That's what Galatians is. That's what Paul's trying to do here. Before you go, you must know how much grace you've been given. You must know yourself to be this beloved so you can go out into the world at peace with God's own peace. So he says grace to you. Paul's goal in Galatians is to help them understand that they have received such grace that all of their distress and concern is unnecessary. They've received such grace that all of their distress and concern is unnecessary. Could you imagine putting together a Thanksgiving meal, like we're coming up on that, right? And you've probably got to, you know, you're sort of maybe some kind of a tradition and you've got, right, there's always a, a ton of amazing food on the table. And then imagine somebody, you know, somebody comes over and they look at it all and they go, you know what would be nice? Has anybody ever done that to you? Uh, as, as you sit down, you start eating even, you know what would be nice? You have, we have everything we need. Could you imagine if they said, you know what would be nice? And then they said, hey, do you have a bowl and some flour and do you have these spices? And then instead of sitting there with you all eating and enjoying the Thanksgiving meal, they step away for a couple minutes into the kitchen and they're calling out, hey, where's the spatulas at? And and you're like, what is going on? Would they just chill out and enjoy? This is what Paul's trying to convey here. I want you to understand just how much you have so that all of your concerns, we all have concerns that we brought this morning, We all have sorrows. We all have things on our mind. All of it, he says, all of it, you can just set it aside. Because look at this. Look at this. The objective here is to understand at a deep level the grace of Christ. 
which alone will then produce the, the community of gracias, the community of gratitude and graciousness that is the new creation. Grace is the, is the seed. The new creation grows out of this gospel truth. It grows out of what Jesus has done for us. It grows out of this great Thanksgiving feast. And that is what will produce the new creation, guaranteed. Now, I want you to understand the connection between grace and peace here because it's so fundamental to these first couple of verses and it's fundamental to the whole point of Galatians. Grace to you and peace. Now, you might wonder, is this just sort of a common uh, Roman, is this just how they start their, all their letters? Is this just sort of par for the course? It's actually not. The word grace here is a different kind of word than most Roman letters normally use. And uh, actually, I'm sorry, the word peace here is a different word than most letters use for peace. And most Roman letters don't include the word grace. This is a uniquely Christian salutation to people. And so it's significant for understanding what Paul's trying to do here. To give them grace so that they will be at peace. To have peace within themselves. Look back with me to chapter 6, verse 18, the last verse in the book. So that's Paul's greeting. Look at the final concluding verse of Galatians. I love, I love how these things work together. He says, grace to you in peace. And then at the end he says, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What do you have inside of you when you have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with your spirit? You have peace. So Paul's saying the same thing in a different way. Grace to you in peace. And here he says, Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. To receive this grace, and so that it chills us out. We have lots of reasons to not have peace. Right? Not even counting like what all's going on, who knows where in the world. Just in our own homes, in our own lives and minds and bodies. We have plenty to take peace away from us. So where are we going to get peace from? We're only going to get peace inside of us. We're only going to get peace among us if we understand the grace of God that comes to us thanks to Jesus. That that belongs to us and we belong to it in a way that will quiet every trouble. That's the only way we're going to have that peace is by getting to know better this grace. So where does this all come from? He goes on, he says here, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this grace all comes to us from the gospel of verse 4. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. This is why Paul is so concerned with the gospel, because that is the thing that's going to produce the peace that we all long for and need. So let's look at verse 4. This is very important. This is a description of, a summary of, the gospel. Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Jesus Christ gave himself. Paul, he uses the same language in chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, The life that I live, uh, now I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So when it says that Christ gave himself, it's referring to the love of Jesus for his people. The gospel is what happened because God loved you. You understand that? The gospel is what happened because Jesus loves us. He saw us. He knew us. 
He knew what we needed, and he gave it to us. And what he gave us was himself. Could Jesus have given us anything more than himself? Could you imagine, hey, I'm here. Awesome. I want that. Right? That, anything other than Jesus would be a diminishment. Right? So he gave us his best, most loving gift. Jesus gave him, us himself in love. Which is why, parentheses, the new creation community is a community of love because it grows out of the seed of Jesus giving himself to us. And so we become a community of people loving each other as well. Now he gave himself to us for our sins. This is so essential to understand. But Jesus saw us and he knew us and he knew what we needed. What did we need? You and I probably wouldn't say, God, what I need most today is forgiveness for my sins. We would say, we would list all other sorts of things. But God knew what we needed. He knew that we were such sinners that we needed the kind of Savior that Jesus had to be and that we needed Jesus himself to be the sacrifice for our sins. What could, we, what could we as sinners possibly add to Jesus' gift? This is such an important thing for the book of Galatians because they're, they're arguing about, they're wrestling with, again, what is really the gospel enough for us to be the people of God? Or do we need to add something? And so Paul right away, he says, Jesus gave himself. What more are you going to add? You who needed him to give himself for your sins, your sinners. What are you going to add? Get your greasy hands off the beautiful white couch, right? Like, just, just stop. What are you going to add to this? Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So this is, this is the proper frame to understand the gospel in the book of Galatians. Here on the one side is our sins. We can't help ourselves. Here on the other side is the world. Right? No one out there can help us either. When we feel like we're lost and trapped and stuck, what do we do? We turn to Google, right? Because if I can't help myself, perhaps the world can deliver me from it, right? The present evil age can, maybe they'll deliver me from the things that I'm going through. And Paul says Jesus had to deliver us, not just from our sins, but also from the present evil age. Not just us, but them. So, so as a sinner, right, keep your greasy hands off the nice white couch, but also... What, what, you can't contribute anything to your salvation, but they're going to they're gonna guide you into contributing something? Just circumcision or keeping the works of the law or whatever? This isn't going to work out. We needed to be delivered from the present evil age. We need Jesus and Jesus alone, and Jesus accomplished that. He delivered us from the present evil age. Now, I want to point out two things about that phrase that are going to be helpful for understanding what Paul's doing in Galatians. So the, the present evil age is a reference back to kind of the Jewish understanding of history. In the Old Testament, they understood that there was the current, the present evil age, which was the world that God was going to judge. And then there was the age of the Spirit, the coming age, when we would enjoy an Eden-like fellowship with God. This is the new creation, life with the Spirit. And Paul says, that's where you are. Jesus Christ delivered you from the present evil age and... In chapter 5, there's the spirits among us, and we're going to walk with the Spirit. So Christians who have put their faith in Jesus have been brought out of the present evil age. The second thing to understand here, culturally, is what, what empire this is taking place in. 
where this is taking place. This, the Galatian churches are living in the Roman Empire. What was the slogan of the Roman Empire? Any history buffs out there? What was the banner that they flew at all of their potlucks and parades? It was uh, Pax Romana. It was a declaration of the, the peace of Rome. It was, they were saying, Rome's here to bring you your best life now. And everywhere that Rome goes, peace goes. Remember what Paul just said he wants to send to the Galatians and what God wants to give to them, grace and peace? And Rome saying, we're here to bring you peace. And so Paul is directly contradicting their political claims. He's saying, Rome, you're the present evil age. And Jewish believers, the Jews are still in that present evil age. So this is a very eye-poking claim, not just to the the Gentile world that the, the Galatian churches lived in, but also to the Jews who are there troubling them. He's saying the Roman world is the present evil age that Jesus is bringing you out of. They're living under judgment. And all those Jews that you want to be so much like, they're living back in there too still. Very controversial, very controversial statements here. And now I don't want to throw away this last bit. Look at the fourth statement here. All of this is according to the will of God. Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And all I want to point out here is what Paul's saying is this that he's describing, that Jesus did this for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, this was what this is what the God did. This was his plan. He did this. He didn't do another thing. He's not doing a, a different thing. He's not doing this and something. This was the will of the God. This was his plan. There's none other. So what Jesus did and what that accomplished in our lives, God's like, that, that, not this, that. That is the only thing that's going to bring you back into my shalom, into peace with me, with each other, and with this world. Everything... Paul's saying that that this is according to the will of God. It means that everything that Jesus did worked. All that we needed was accomplished. Jesus did it, and so now we are God's, and so there's nothing more to add to this, right? Which means that anybody who is nudging us away from these truths is not nudging us into uh, hmm, theologically speculative matters. Oh, let's talk about this. This, is, this seems like a kind of a gray area here. Let's, let's worry. No, he's saying it's taking you back into the dark present evil age. So that's what Paul addresses next. What to do with people who would trouble us in regard to our confidence on the gospel. Because that sense of grace is what is going to bring us into this place of peace. So what do we do with the people, with these troublers? So let's look at verses 6 to 9 now. Verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. This is a very unusual moment for Paul. I know this is his first letter that we have record of. It probably was not the first letter that Paul ever wrote. This is kind of a, a impolite 
Normally you would say, you know, Paul and maybe, you know, that guy to the church, you know, to whomever. And, oh, I just thank God for you every time I think of you and way to go. I heard about this and I'm really pleased. He doesn't do, if you look at all of his other letters, he does some kind of a, puts a little sugar down first, right? But the, what he does here, he just goes right at him. I am astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. It's a very unusual non-thanksgiving thing. Because I wonder, this might be the first time Paul has ever encountered resistance to grace among Christians. Have you ever known Christians to be resistant to grace? Paul had gotten plenty of resistance to the message of grace from non-Christians. But to have churches he planted, to have Christians and believers who are resisting the message of grace... I think he's, he's baffled. He says, you have deserted God. You have deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ. You've deserted God and Jesus Christ. And of course, you've deserted Paul, the one who told you about God and Christ as well. Remember, God is trying to give us his grace. He's trying to bring us into his peace. But the Galatians, as so often we've seen and perhaps experienced were surprisingly quick about deserting him. You know, it's a thing that happens sometimes unhappily in certain couples as they approach approach their wedding day, that one party will get uh, cold feet, right? And it, it unhappily occurs from time to time that one party is left standing at the altar. But what Paul's describing here is somebody who's, who leaves right after the altar. It's one thing to say, well, you know what, I'm not going to make that commitment. I'm not going to go in with it. I just, I don't think I'm ready for it. It's a different thing to say, I'm ready for it. I'm going to make that commitment. I love you so much. And then walk out the side door right after. That's what this desertion is. This is what Paul is describing. You have deserted God, deserted Christ. You've deserted Paul. You have turned to a different, a distorted gospel. And now notice this. Verse 7, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are some who trouble you. This is the first time Paul meets these people. Later on in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, towards the end of his ministry, he says uh, to the churches in Ephesus, to the elders there, he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now he knows what to expect then. This is his first experience with it. He says, there's some here who are troubling you. And if you think about it, you know, those of you who've been around churches and in, in the Christian world for a little while, you know that like, people, don't, the, the, people don't modify the gospel by just saying, you know what, the, the gospel that we all sing about in love, let's, let's change it up a little bit. Right? Nobody does that. What they do, here's what they do. They say, maybe you would be a better Christian if. Maybe God would bless you more if. Are you, hey, Christian, hey, are you doing it? Are you doing enough? Right? Are you doing it right? Should we talk about prayer? Are you doing enough prayer? Are you praying right? Let's talk about evangelism, sharing your faith with other people. Are you doing enough of that? 
Are you doing it right? What about giving? Are you giving enough? Are you serving enough? Are you worshiping in the right way? Is your doctrine right? What about your home life and your and your Right? It's so easy to be troubled in all of these things. Jesus did a lot, but maybe I need something more. You know, troubling us is kind of a a ministry calling it seems throughout the ages, troubling the church. We're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but this is what Paul is facing. Paul's goal is grace and peace, because the gospel gives peace. All right, what do we do with these troublers? Look now again at verse 7, 8, and 9. Let's look at these verses. Paul says, Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he says very clearly in verse 7, this different gospel, he says, not that there is a different gospel. There's only one gospel. And that means that any different gospel is actually a distortion of the gospel. But if it's a distortion of the gospel in any way, it's contrary to the gospel. Because the gospel is a, a total claim. It says only. Only Jesus. Only by His grace. Only by faith in Him. Only. And so Jesus and is contrary to only. And is contrary to only. You can only have this. Great, I want that and that. No, you can only have this. This is what works. This is the only thing. And the gospel, something that's being taught as that is contrary to the gospel and is claiming to be the gospel is, of course, damnable. That's what the word accursed means here. Which Paul says twice. Did you notice that? Verse 8 and 9, he repeats it. Let him be accursed. Let him be damned. This is, a, this is shocking and impolite language. Let them be accursed. It's an Old Testament idea. It means to be cut off from God's people, to be cast out, to be formally put back into the world, into the present evil age that deserves God's judgment. And for false teachers specifically, you know what the punishment was. It was capital punishment. It was death. So part of Paul's message of Galatians is to the Galatian churches, why are you hanging out with those people? Like whenever in the, in the Old Testament somebody was, was cursed, everybody kind of backed away from them carefully, right? Because God's judgment was coming on that person and you didn't want to get caught with sparks from it. So part of what Paul's saying here is why are you hanging out with people that are troubling your faith? Which I think is a good question for all of us to consider. Why are we bringing in people? Why are we devoting our time to? Why are we scrolling through things that are troubling our sense of the grace of God that's been given to us and the peace that comes as a result? Why are we giving them the time of day, let alone uh, feeding the algorithm in their direction? And Paul says it doesn't matter who they are, of course, because right, all troublers are gorgeous. Right? They're handsome, they're well-dressed, They can raise funds like crazy, right? All the troublers. He says in verse 8, he says, even if we apostles 
who planted your churches or an angel from heaven. Let them be accursed if we come preaching anything different. Now, in the Bible, right, pretty much apostles and angels, they're the people you kind of always listen to. They show up, you know, angel shows up, you listen to whatever they're going to say, you take really good notes and you make sure that the prophets get it so they can put it in the Bible. And he says, if they come bringing a message contrary to the gospel, let them be accursed. Because however much they matter, however much they're significant, there's something that matters so much more. So much more, in fact, that we could say it's the only thing that matters, and that's the gospel. Because everything depends on the gospel. Everything depends on those four little statements in verse 4. Everything depends on that. And it's enough. That's what Paul's saying. It's enough. We can all get matching tattoos. We don't need to. It's enough. The entire book of Galatians is Paul saying the gospel is enough. Jesus is enough. What he did for us is enough. It's all It's all we need. Grace to you and peace. And peace is the opposite of trouble. Jesus loves you. It's done. All your sins are forgiven. Done. You have been delivered from the judgment the world deserves. It's done. And God is pleased. It's done. There's nothing any one of us has to do no matter what you've done or who you are or what's been done to you that you need to do so that Jesus loves you enough. He loves you. It's done. Or for that sin or those sins or other sins to be forgiven, they're forgiven. It's done. Or for you to be saved from judgment and condemnation and wrath and whatever word you want to put on it, it's done. And there's nothing that we need to do or could do to please God any more than what than He is pleased with Jesus in our place and for our sake. All that grace is enough. Be at peace. Don't be troubled. So friends, know His grace. Know God's grace and be at peace. You know I, know, I know because it's in me. I know that in you is some kind of trouble in your spirit because of sin, because of weakness, and you're frustrated with yourself or frustrated with your situation because you have unmet expectations and hopes, things you've prayed about, things you've longed for, inarticulate, articulate, and they're not coming to, to be, or you've got sufferings in your life. I'm going to rip a verse out of context, out of Philippians, but it's by Paul, so I think he would approve. May the peace of God guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. May what Jesus has done guard you in your heart and mind with God's peace. Know yourself in this grace and be at peace because Jesus did it all. And all that grace, it's enough. It's enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we all need to hear this. We all look at our lives, we look at ourselves, and we think that how could you love me? How could all these sins be forgiven? How can I have this free and open relationship with God? 
How can I, am I really going to be free from all judgment and condemnation? What about these sufferings? What about these disappointments? What about these frustrations and these failures? And so we need to hear this morning, Lord. And so give us good ears to hear. Open our hearts to hear that what Jesus did is 100%, absolutely, completely enough. Enough. And not only is it enough for us, it's also the only thing that, embedded in our hearts and growing there, will bring us personally into your peace and bring this church into that new creation, that beautiful new creation condition. And so, Lord, I pray with all my heart this morning that this word, the word of Christ, will dwell in us richly. In his name, amen.